It's our intention this morning to uh, follow up on our message of selfishness. Because this morning we would like to speak about the selflessness of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> probably the selflessness of Christ is probably magnified more by observing the selfishness of man more than anything. Probably most anything that you can speak about concerning the Lord Christ, you can find exactly the opposite in the Bible. Speaking of man, you want to speak about the faithfulness of Christ. There's plenty in the Bible about the unfaithfulness of man. And in this case, if you're going to talk about the selflessness of Christ, you can very much talk about the selfishness of man. Now, <clears throat> one of the reasons that we make this point is again to remind us that when the angel said that he shall be great, such a perplexing statement. And yet when you pause to think about it, who he is is clearly seen by what he did. What he did did not make him Christ. He is Christ. He is holy harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners. And because of who he is, he did what he did. He said to us in Matthew 16, in the 24th verse, that if any man shall come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The word deny is not found a whole lot in the scriptures. Either deny or denying from, from this standpoint. But the places that it is found, it's heavy and it's weighty. And it is, it is, a, it is a topic, it is a conversation that this world does not want to have. This world does not want to know about self-denial. This world is not uh, in an effort to deny itself of worldly pleasures. Uh, we live in a self-centered society, a self-seeking society, a society that is focused on immediate self-gratification. None of that applies to Christ. Christ did not come down from heaven to do His own will. Christ did not come down from heaven to make a name for Himself. Christ did exactly the opposite. He made himself of no reputation and came down from heaven to do the will of the Father that sent him. And this was his whole goal. Nothing else.
In Matthew 26, we find uh, the Lord gathered with the disciples. The first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and it is, it is at this point that the Lord institutes uh, what we will be observing in a few minutes known as the Lord's Supper. First thing that we want to notice about this is that he says in Matthew 26 and verse 21, and as they did eat, he said, Verily I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. And they were exceeding sorrowful and began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it I? We, we brought this up last week. That when we speak about this subject of selfishness, rather than me giving a whole bunch of personal examples that will either uh, offend you or cause you to tune out, the simple question is, is that when the sermon is preached, the question is, Lord, is it I? Because really this subject... It applies to everybody in here, myself included. <clears throat> and he answered and he said, He that dippeth his hand with me in the dish, the same shall betray me. So the first thing that we notice about this was that Judas would betray him. And that's a fact. The second thing that we notice that occurs here in Matthew 26 is... Verse 31, then saith Jesus unto them, all ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. It's, it's written in Zechariah 13, this prophecy of Christ. So the second thing that we discover about this um, is that the disciples would all forsake him. Third thing that happens in uh, Matthew 26 is found, um, well, really you can go all the way to the end of it. And it says here in verse um, 74, then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man, and immediately the cock crew. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. That's an abbreviated reference to this. But what happens here? That Peter denies the Lord. He doesn't deny himself. He denies the Lord. Judas betrays him. At his arrest, all the disciples forsake him and run and flee. And then when questioned about it, Peter denies him. This is his close group of friends. We're not talking about the Pharisees and Sadducees, right? We're talking about his close group of friends. Forsook him, betrayed him, and denied him. What's this got to do with Jesus? Doesn't it have everything to do with Jesus? Because in, see, we could compare ourselves to each other real easy. And yet Paul, Paul would tell us in his letters of leave to the church at Corinth, he says that you know, they that measure themselves by themselves 
and compare themselves among themselves are not wise. Because you can always find somebody worse than you are. And therefore, makes you feel better about yourself, right? But when we as a collective collective group compare ourselves to Christ, mm -mm, right? Nobody's better than Christ. See, people like to say, well, I I like to see the good in people. Well, good for you. But Paul says, in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Rather than trying to see the good in people, why don't you try to see the good in God? Because when you see the goodness in God and the goodness of Christ, you will realize the necessity that He had to come. And one of the things that's pointed out, or or one of the things that I, I see here in this 26th chapter, is that Christ's group of friends that denied Him, that betrayed Him, that forsook him, that ran off and left him by himself. Show me one thing. That you never know just how selfish you are until others are completely dependent upon you. You don't know just how selfish you are Until somebody says to you, I need help. And you refuse it. Because one of the amazing things about this chapter is found right in the middle of it. You know, Jesus said, as it is written, smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered, right? Several places that he speaks, he says, it was written, it was written, all this was done, that it was written, all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, so forth and so on. He knew this was going to happen. None of this was a surprise to him. The unfaithfulness of people is a surprise to you sometimes, right? Somebody promises they're going to do something and they don't do it. And you're shocked, right? Why? You're surprised, right? Why? Yeah, but Christ was not surprised. Christ was not shocked. But I'd like for you to notice something here. Let's back up to verse 31. When Jesus said, All ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But, oh, isn't that something? Have you ever noticed if you'll just listen to what somebody has to say, or if you're just listening to what somebody is saying to you, they'll tell you what they're really thinking when they say, but. You know, Brother Phillips, a good preacher. He sure looks nice standing up there. He sure makes that look easy. But. Long-winded. Loud. Metal's too much in my business. You know, people always tell you what they're thinking. Look, The doctor always gives you the gas first before he starts cutting on you is what happens. But Jesus is exactly the opposite. He says, all you will forsake me this night, but. 
He says, but after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Do you, uh, do you think in your life that you would have the stamina? Um, do you think that you would have the faithfulness to have that attitude that Christ had if you experienced the things that Christ experienced? He could have said, you know what? All of you are going to forsake me. Judas is going to betray me. Peter's going to deny me. You know what? I'm just going back home. And I'm done with this whole mess. Where would we be? Christ going to the cross did nothing for him. Christ suffering on the cross did nothing for him. He's God the Son come down to this old wretched world. He's God the Son came down here in the likeness of sinful flesh. He's a billionaire who came down here and got a part-time job at a donut shop. What does that do for him? Nothing. But it wasn't about what he needed. It's about what the elect family of God needed. And they needed Christ. You see, Paul writes this in Hebrews chapter 10. We, we want to we read this in Hebrews 10 and then we want to go back to the Old Testament just briefly. Because he says in Hebrews chapter 10, I'd like you to notice this conversation that's laid out here for us. Hebrews 10 verse 4 says, It is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sin. It's not possible. It's not possible that anything that God established and ordained under the Old Testament would take away sins. Well, why did he establish those things then? For this reason, verse 5, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, who came into the world? Christ Jesus. And when he came into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure, well, then said I, then said Christ, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. This is what Peter has referenced to in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 11, wherein he talks about those Old Testament saints those holy men of old that spake and wrote. He says in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 10, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what? 
or what manner of time the spirit of Christ, which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should come. When Jesus says it's written in the volume of the book, he's essentially saying it is the spirit of Christ who was in those men in the Old Testament that wrote and prophesied of the sufferings of Christ and his glory that should come. So when you turn to the Old Testament, you'll find oftentimes where the disciples or the the men writing are are talking about a practical uh, experience of theirs. But if you look just a little deeper, they're magnifying Christ. Psalm 40. See, we've read this psalm a number of times, probably, specifically the first few verses of Psalm 40. If you're in trouble, if you're in a desperate strait, you've probably read this psalm. It's probably been a psalm of great encouragement. For David says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me, and he heard my cry. Isn't that what y'all want? Is there anybody in here that doesn't want that? Is there anybody in here who's had trouble in your life and you don't want the Lord to listen to you? You don't want the Lord to hear you? You don't want the Lord to incline His ear under your cries? Anybody in here? I don't think so. Everybody in here who's had trouble, you want the Lord to listen. You want the Lord to hear you. And you want the Lord to incline His ear under your cry, right? He brought me up also out of a horrible pit. Out of the miry clay, set my feet upon a rock and establish my goings. When the Lord delivers you and sets you in a sure place, doesn't this mean something to you? Does this not sound like a, a personal experience that you may have had in time past? Verse 3 says, you put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. How do you see a song? You can't see a song. Other, I mean, you, you can look at it in a hymn book, but you, you see the effect that it has in somebody's life. Verse 6, sacrifice and offerings thou didst not desire. Mine ears hast thou opened. Burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me. Wait a minute, didn't we just read this? Where did we read this? Read it in Hebrews. So what does that mean? It means that Psalm 40 is a messianic psalm. It means it's a psalm about Christ. It's a psalm about Christ who went to the grave and three days later was brought forth out of the pit and God established his goings. When Christ hung upon the cross, 
we know we hung alone. And the Bible says to us in Matthew 27, that as the chief priests and Pharisees and others gathered around his cross, they said in Matthew 27 and verse 41, that they mocked him. And in verse 42, it says, he saved others, himself he cannot save. This, this is a, a mocking call that they gave to Christ. He saved others, himself he can't save. They said this in mocking. However, this is entirely true what they said from a certain perspective. Others he saved, yes, because he was able to. He raised the dead, healed the sick, healed the blind, healed the lame. But himself he cannot save. Now, could he not save himself because he was unable? No. He could not save himself because he was unwilling. He could not save himself because he was unwilling to come down off the cross. He was more willing to do the Father's will regardless of what happened to him. How did the greatest generation in America that stormed the beaches of Normandy fighting the uh, oppressive, oppressive forces of communism spawn a generation too lazy to get off the couch? How did we go from giving our lives in defense of freedom to having college-aged children crying in the corners because someone said something that hurt their feelings? How did we get here? You say, well, that only applies to the world. Thank God that's not in the church. How did we get to a place where we say we're going to go worship the selfless Christ. But only if they have programs for the children, some place for me to dock my child so I don't have to bother with them during worship so that I can worship in peace. And where's that good music that makes me feel good? Right? Mm -hmm. Selfishness. Where anything that happens in this world has to be about me. Exactly the opposite of what Jesus Himself did. Jesus shows us also as He's up here on this cross, as He's gathered, or as, as He's alone on the cross, but yet he's surrounded at the bottom, and yet what he's surrounded at the bottom, the Bible calls dogs, hateful people, the wicked. 
And there he stands. There he's there he hangs. Beaten. There he hangs being mocked. He shows us something. He shows us that strength is not always measured in what someone can do. But in those things what someone chooses not to do. Strength is not always measured in physical ability of what I can do. But maybe in internal abilities, what I choose not to do. Samson is a very good example of this. Samson is one of the greatest examples of this. Samson is in so many ways a picture of Christ in the book of Judges. And in so many other ways, he's an embarrassment to to humankind. Samson had the ability to subdue thousands of Philistines. Go back and read it. Go back and read the number of times that Samson rose up, tore things down, destroyed things, killed thousands of Philistines, and yet Samson did not have the ability to subdue his own self. If we want to know what it truly means to be selfless, There's no other example than our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, to let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let this mind, let this way of thinking be in you, It was also the way of thinking of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Now, this does not mean that you need to think that you're God. This means that you need to consider who you are and place God above you. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, in the term form here means the the, the exact likeness, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. It was not robbery for him to be equal with God because he was equal with God. In other words, I can't steal something that is mine. I can steal something that's yours. I can steal something that doesn't belong to me, but I can't steal something that is mine. And yet it says he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He became obedient unto death. Now, if we were to just stop right there, you might have the idea that he became obedient 
for all of his life until he died in the good old age with his feet propped up in the bed as Jacob did. But that's not the death we understand that he encountered, right? He didn't die peacefully and quietly at home surrounded by friends and family. He didn't die after a good long age, good long days, good long life. He died after three short years of ministry. At the age of 33. Hanging upon a cross. As Paul would say, consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners. What do you mean enduring the contradiction of sinners? Those who were liars accusing him of lying. Those who are murderers murdering the Lord of life. That everything he is, they are not. And they crucified him for it. And had you or I been there, we'd have crucified him too. He is truly, remarkably, the great example of selflessness. He's truly the great example that when we were totally dependent upon someone, He was the one we could depend on.